When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of the Woke Bros. Of course, I'm your host, Big Waz, joined today by a very special guest as Nando is out on assignment in Mexico City. We decided to get an actual expert up in here. Uh, usually it's just me and Nando up here bloviating, just as talkering, talking heads and stammering and yammering dumbasses. I decided I would go out, find somebody who's really learned on a subject that we're pretty engaged um, on here at the Woke Bros. So I got my partner, Fernando Saltil. He's an assistant professor of economics at McGill University up in the great north in Canada. Of course, got his PhD here in the good old red, white, and blue at the University of Maryland. My brother, Fernando, welcome to the show. What up, Big Was? Thanks so much for having me here. Of course, man, of course. Um, it's funny, because uh, we never called Nando Fernando, so it's kind of funny that... Uh, <laughs> There's two of us. You had to bring in the same name to replace him, you know? Exactly. It's funny that that's your, that's your name as well. But, you know, before we get into sort of U.S. economic policy and you know, Joe Biden's agenda, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how did you get into this racket? How did you figure out you wanted to study economics? Man, you know, I grew up in Argentina where the economy has been messed up for a long time. So all this, wow. stuff, all this stuff of inflation always br brings me back home. So just growing up, we had economic crisis after economic crisis. So I think I figured out pretty quickly I wanted to get into this. And then I moved to the States and just carried through with this. But to be honest, I never thought I'd be talking about U.S. inflation. So... It's good to be out here, you know, <laughs> drawing on my expertise from back home, which is always uh, good for us, you know. <laughs> I love it. And, you know, the reason why it's important to talk to you today is because, you know, I feel like there are sort of people that used to be considered, I guess, liberal economics guys, right? Like back in 08, for instance, um, those guys were even pretty deficit hawks, inflationary people, scare tactics, X, Y, and Z. But they're not really singing that tune anymore, right? Like they've kind of, you've seen the field in the possession, um, profession, I'm sure you've noticed, move way past that, specifically guys who were considered to be on the leftward side of economics. But I think you still see people like fucking Larry Summers come out and be completely panicky and ridiculous about what the economy is doing and just fear-mongering about inflation. You know, you mentioned you're from Argentina, where this has been historically an actual problem. Yeah. Um, how, do you, how do you view this thing? So, admittedly, you know, like when inflation started to pick up a bit earlier in the year, there were some folks who thought this would quickly go away. And mm -hmm. so far, seemingly, it hasn't that quickly, right? right. We're just 
even brought the ones of us who thought like this wouldn't be a major consideration to kind of like reassess what's been going on. There's clearly some fear mongering, right, as to that this might persist for a long time and that they, this might lead us to take um, non-optimal, sorry to be so nerdy, but like no, keep going. In the we, moment, we, right, that, 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 could, that could hurt the economy. The main issue that a country like Argentina has had historically is when all of the people who are making decisions basically make it known to everyone else out there that they will not do anything to stop inflation. Mm, right. Gotcha. So in Argentina, like every economic actor, you know, like political candidates, the president, like the central bank, like most actors out there, like they've just pretty much given up. I mean, there's some efforts, right? But they're like price freezes where the government basically goes in and tells the supermarket, you know, milk needs to be a dollar. And the supermarket's like, but I just bought this for four. It's like, no, it needs to be a dollar world. There's no milk out there, right? Mm. And so that's the point that would ideally be avoidable. The U.S. is like a three trillion steps away from that, right? And sometimes what yeah. you'll hear in the discourse, it seems like that's about to happen tomorrow, right? So it's a matter of having a smarter conversation about like how much of an issue this is. Even if it matters today, will this matter like moving forward? And if it does or if it doesn't, who is it affecting and how much is it affecting different groups of workers, right? So, you know, it's interesting because Nando talks about it all the time. Like when it comes to monetary policy and stuff like that, the government's not even in charge anymore. We've basically outsourced that to the Federal Reserve. Right. Uh, we saw at the beginning of the pandemic, they were like, look, we're not going to let the bond market fail. We're going to guarantee U.S. debt to all the debt holders and all the fucking financial institutions around the world. Go ahead, business as usual, right? We saw them step in and be like, nope, we're not letting the economy go to shit. Operate how you need to do it. We're guaranteeing um, the value of U.S. debt, right? Which theoretically, if this shit got really bad, what would actually stop the Fed from doing something like that for normal people? Meaning like, we're going to guarantee that shit doesn't get out of control for you guys. Right. And, and, and partly, right, that's like the, the role that the Fed is supposed to play. So, for instance, the concern and the Fed has played like these mixed roles. So in 08, like the Fed stepped in like, after, you know, after, you know, the crisis and when Obama came in, the, the Fed stepped in and they implemented very loose like monetary policy. They were like really trying to pump credit into the economy. And you would hear the same inflation hawks who said like inflation is right around the quarter and and that did not come to pass, right, at all. Like, inflation remained very low. So the point, and how you know that inflation remained low, even if you don't know the actual numbers, is that you never heard about it, right? And, like, when you don't hear about inflation, like, you know things are going well, right? right. But, like, to, to get out of the Great Recession, like, the Fed really stepped in big time and, like, pursued very kind of unconventional monetary policy to try to stimulate the economy. And there was a lot of fear mongering back then that this would happen. So I think when the pandemic started and they pursued very similar policies, a lot of us expected, well, a similar you know, like a, a similar outcome will end up like taking place. And so far, it hasn't been clear that, that, that that's going to take place necessarily because the pan and, and that's the thing about this crisis is not like any other financial crisis. There's like a right. freaking pandemic going on in the background, right? And that's changing up a lot of variables in the economy. So it's very hard to separate out, separate out exactly how exactly the, the relative importance of the different factors that might be driving inflation. So that's what I think a lot of economists are struggling. The ones who are trying to like, think about this in a careful way, right? And not just like come out here and just say like the craziest things that they, that they believed going into it. You know, like a lot of people have these like ideologies and they want to push them mm -hmm. along and now they've seen an opportunity and they want to keep doing that. But even those of us who like want to try to like suss out like what the different like factors matter here, it's like not straightforward because again, there's a pandemic in the background, right? And it's kind of hard to separate things out. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've, and I've mentioned this on the show several times already, I was very amused by this, report last week from Bloomberg. And again, 
Bloomberg is not exactly your liberal bastion of information. Um, these we know where Bloomberg's news organization leads leans, and they put out a report, and it's like, uh, the shit about uh you know, employment, infl wage inflation is kind of horseshit because profits are up across the board 37%. So <laughs> what do you say to people who are talking about, oh, you know, this stuff where workers have their pick of 90 different jobs and they're getting paid way too much. Um, what do you say to people who are talking about wage I mean, inflation as a concept? If you're trying to argue that American workers or low-wage workers are going to pay too much, like you need to look at any other developed country, right? And like, however, whatever measure you want to use to compare, like low-wage workers in Canada get paid about like 33% more than they do in the U.S. And most European countries, they do too. Like just comparatively, the amounts that I look at for the minimum wages here are significantly higher than they are in the U.S., right? And even in like provinces out there like Alberta, the minimum wage is significantly higher than it is in a lot of American states, right? And you see this even like the people who make more than the minimum wage have higher salaries. So... And so something that's actually been interesting for, for, is that the rate of wage growth for these low-wage workers in the U.S. has outpaced inflation. So what you kind of end up, end up seeing that's like a little bit different than you might have expected is that these workers in like real terms, right, their wages have increased by about like 7 to 8% and inflation has been 6%. So in, they, they, their salaries have actually grown more than inflation, these like low-wage low workers. So that's, that's good for the economy because one of the major issues um, economically in the U.S. in the past 40 years is that low-wage workers have not seen much of the wage growth, right? I'm not saying anything that novel, right? But like any graph, <laughs> any graph you'll see, right? Like it's like the, the salaries of like the highly educated and the people who are really well off like skyrocketed, but this, this has not happened at the bottom. So during the pandemic, the opposite's been happening. And that's, to, at least in the way I think about it, I presume you, you'll agree with me, it's, it's a good outcome for the economy, right? The only question is, for now, the wages of the low-wage low workers are increasing and they're beating inflation. But if for some reason that changes and their wages don't rise anymore, maybe next year or two years from now, then inflation will really hit these low income right. workers. So that's one reason why we still need to be like a bit careful about this, even though the, the fear mongering and wages increasing for low wage workers is a good thing for the economy. Right. These people are not getting paid sufficiently. Right. And I don't and, see how that's controversial in any case. And the reason why it's good for the economy, which is something, again, this is something we try to talk about all the time. Like when a low wage worker gets more money they put it back in the economy, right? Like they get their hair done. They, you know, they do all of these different things to all of these different businesses, get their nails done, do this, like everything gets done and they're putting it back. It's not like, it's, it's actually stimulating the economy at large. Whereas when, you know, these CEOs and these guys get their money, they park it overseas. They put it in their bank account so that, you know, whatever, when they die, they fucking spalpeens, get the bread untaxed. Like, that shit does no good for anybody. Whereas when normal workers get more money, they put more into the economy than these ultra-rich people. The world is opening back up. Delta variant notwithstanding. It's opening back up, guys. And there are so many new thrills on the horizon. Whether you've been in a relationship for years or you're just getting started or just excited to get back out there and meet new people, when the moment comes, trust me, you'll want to be ready. Roman ready. GetRoman.com slash B-O-M. Go there. Talk to U.S. licensed healthcare professionals now because with Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for erectile dysfunction, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. Roman ready. What does it mean? 
you ask, Roman ready means confidence. The confidence that you know you can rise to the occasion in the moment. Emphasis on rise. We're looking at the Summer of Love 2021 version, and Roman wants to make sure you can participate in your way, whether that be as a single person or a couple who still would rather stay indoors with each other. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you for free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward. It's convenient. It's discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash B-O-M and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving your home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a U.S. licensed healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash B-O-M today. And if you're prescribed, get 50% off your first month of ED treatment. Make sure you're ready to have confidence and control this summer. Roman ready. <laughs> well, and especially in the U.S. additionally, you see, for instance, like childcare is absurdly expensive, right? Like right. housing prices are increasing in large cities. Uh, so, for instance, like when I moved out here, I realized like here they have childcare that costs only $7 a day. Uh, seven Canadian dollars a day, which is even cheaper, wow. like US dollars, right? And it's like oh. guaranteed, like you're killed, you're killed oh. get a slot. So it's these kinds of things that you would presume that these like these like normal workers are basically like using like taking advantage of their salary increases to kind of afford, like you know, their studio apartment that used to be affordable. So these kinds of increases for for workers who haven't seen the the gains coming from the growth in the economy taking place over the past thirty or forty years, like I. I don't even know what kind of ideology you'd have to have to think that that's not a good thing happening in the economy. And that's not the main driver of inflation. Like these low, like the, the, these workers getting higher salaries, it's not the main contributing factor to what's going on. So I want to, I want to talk about yeah, yeah. that. So it's obvious, like to, to me, and you know, when I read people who are obviously a lot smarter and fucking been studying this a lot longer than me, they're like, look, it's, we can identify where the inflation is at, right? Like airline, tickets yeah more people are trying to travel if you can't travel right now if like for vacation and you can't afford it just wait it'll be fine you'll be able to travel again like that's whatever that's a lot of the inflation a lot of it we see in auto manufacturing where we just don't have enough cars to sell to people which is coming down to like they're not making enough chips and like different parts which seems to me like well maybe we should figure out a way to Make more chips, right? Like yeah. it seems like there are fixes for so many of these things that are afflicting the economy, or even like you know stuff at the grocery store, which again has a lot to do with supply chain issues. Of I don't know, uh, start fucking hiring more supply chain people, pay the shit out of them. This shit will start flowing again. I, like it seems like there are obvious fixes. What are you seeing when it comes to the specifics of where the um, inflation is? So, so getting at what you exactly got at, right? Like one of the things that gets mostly talked about is the role of like these like supply chain issues that have been going on kind of worldwide since the pandemic started, right? Like container ships and the like trying to get to California and get it getting stuck or like the prices of container ships have gone through the roof. And and there's a variety of factors playing to that, some of which is like some countries like have had lockdowns, right? And it takes like a little while to get started with this like entire supply chain. So then there's shortages. And when there's a shortage, everything things become more expensive. That plays a role. Similar things happen in terms of like trying to hire workers, right? Like warehouse workers used to get paid like $7 an hour or some like ter terrible salary, right? And now, luckily, they've been able to like 
get higher salaries. So now some firms are like reluctant to hire warehouse workers and they haven't adjusted their expectations that now they actually need to be compensated, maybe not fairly, but they need to be compensated more than they were before, right? Um, so some of these factors, you would, you would assume that like they're going to get fixed. The supply chain issues, like eventually, right? Like when the pandemic kind of fades and that's that's a big part of the issue, right? Like we don't know when this will happen. And I think part of like what Biden's dealing with is like when he came in, we all had the impression like now we have someone who knows what he's doing. This will be done, right? And like, and we kind of realized, oh, maybe it's not as easy as we had thought, unfortunately, right? But the supply chain thing, like, will eventually get fixed, and that will drive down inflation. I think the main issue is that the the, the fact that that does not occur immediately creates a lot of anxiety for people, right? Because, like, it, this supply chain thing cannot get fixed, like, overnight. It might take a little right. bit, right? And, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And, like, if it's just you and I talking about it, like, okay, maybe there's a little bit, little bit more inflation in the short run. But as long as we all know that this issue will disappear in the long run, then we're fine, it right? We're fine. Yeah. We're fine, right? But but the thing is, like, you, the, the main consideration here is to try to make sure that people don't freak out to the point that they'll expect ah. for inflation to be higher in the future. Because that's when you get into these bad spirals, which is what happens in Argentina. It's like the government predicts that inflation will be 30% next year, but, like, everyone and their mom knows that it will be 60%, right? So then you start thinking, okay, it'll be 60%. You know, my boss needs to give me a 60% wage raise, and then, you know, the you know, so then it just keeps on spiraling. So that's the main thing about trying to bring some calm that this is mostly a short-term issue. But also try to ensure that over the long run, this will get sorted out, right? That's what I was going to say. Is it You just perfectly explained why inflation fear mongering is basically a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like inflation will take place if people really, really believe that inflation is taking place, right? Like all of the things that you mentioned where it's like, all right, let's start hoarding gas. Let's start doing this. Like we'll perpetuate the inflation that we're all afraid of, which is why I'm so confused as to why these people are always doing this panic shit. It almost feels like they have an ulterior motive. Yeah, and it could be, right? Because at the end of the day, inflation will not be an issue in the US in the long run because like the Federal Reserve will step in and they'll raise interest rates and force a recession if that's what they believe must be done, which is what we're all trying to avoid happens, right? Because forcing a recession or increasing interest rates to force a recession in the middle of COVID does not seem ideal at all. This also coincides with a good moment for workers, right, who are seeing like significant wage increases. So ideally, we can identify and try to explain that Part of the issues with inflation are driven by the supply chain issues and these changes in the labor market that we still need to figure out exactly what's going on. And those components will not sustain over the long run. The other thing that's driving up inflation a bit is that all governments across every developed country in- implemented very large like stimulus package- packages during the pandemic to try to help out people, right? And that drives up demand and that's okay. Like that needed to be done during the pandemic, right? Like uh, in Canada, there were like large checks given like as, as part of like unemployment insurance and like most countries implemented this. That should not last over the long run, right? Like, Thank you, President Trump. No. <laughs> You know, I got I got my Biden check. I got my Trump check. So 50 50. Haven't got a Trudeau check yet, but I'm, I'm aiming for one. We're working on it. Uh, um, so I did want to get into some of your own personal philosophies as far as um, economics is concerned, because I feel like uh, Keynesian economics has been very in vogue of recently, like it's gotten a resurgence. And, you know, I would like for you to explain to people what the Keynesian school of economics sort of dictates the sort of mode of belief in that. So I think the main consideration in the, in the like a Keynesian framework, let's say, is that the government has a role to play in the economy, right? 
I think the most common place that you will see this discussed, at least in the macro discussion, is that the government should step in and uh, increase their spending or reduce taxes, i.e. in recessions, right? That there's a role for the government to play to stimulate the economy during recessions, and that just lessens the negative impacts of the recession, and then that gets smooth, smoothed out over the long run. That's a point of view that was held like by a lot of economists, like very like way back, like before Reagan, let's say, and then it kind of like, faded away. <laughs> I was right? about to until, say, what happened to that type of thinking until two thousand and eight? But I, I think the Great Recession kind yeah. of like brought back these ideas into place a bit more about like the government playing a role in the economy, um, boosting invest, bo boosting spending, boosting investment. And especially acting in recessions. And in fact, this is what you saw across the entire developed world. It's not like any government was just like, you know, oh, there's a pandemic happening. Like, too bad. I'm going to do nothing, right? And hopefully it all gets sorted out. Of course not, but we know who they did it on behalf of, right? Like, we know who was like, no, 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 no. We got to step in, in, into the economy so that Jamie Dimon is good. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, of like anytime it's in order to save those motherfuckers, government checks, government intervention is never a bad thing. It's great. When the government can help those folks, government handouts, government bailouts, government whatever is awesome. The government steps up with unemployment benefits insurance. It's like, this is the end of the fucking world, Fernando. No, and look, that, that that's fair enough, right? I think part of the issue here is that, for instance, I, the Biden administration took a number of steps to try to help like workers across the spectrum. So there's like, you know, the child tax credit, like trying to help out people. But the thing is like, these things aren't like visible to people. And like, maybe it does help, but like, there's like an issue at the end of the day that like, okay, the minimum wage increase, yeah, the Biden administration is supposed to pushing, it's like a dollar an hour, which like isn't anything, but maybe the person will look at the paycheck at the end of the month, it's like an additional $30. Right? Which like, yeah. has it, but like, that's not enough. Like that hasn't gotten no. out of their predicament, right? So all these like small increments, like they, they come from like um, explicit government action. Like the government is actually actively doing something. It's like child tax rate. Like if you have kids, like you struggle throughout the pandemic, we're going to help you out. But sometimes these actions are not like clear enough that like can deliver like benefits to people. So that's when this association kicks in and the people are drawn to like, okay, the government can never help me out, which mm. which is too bad, right? Because there are policies that are taking that are being taken, that are being done, that are being put in place, but maybe they're not salient enough for most people. So what I was getting back at, at you with the Canada thing, right? Like here, everyone knows like you got childcare for seven dollars a day. And the government is guaranteeing that. So it's like so salient that you can't avoid it. Like if the government hadn't stepped in to deliver childcare for $7 a day, you would not be paying that. And if you ask any of your friends back in the US how much they pay for childcare, you know it's a lot more than $7 a day, right? So that's like an intervention, which like it's very clear to everyone. Like the government's here, right? To try like improve the situation. Try 1,000 a month. Exactly. You know, um, that's that's damn their standard. The the probably the minimum you're gonna pay is a I think it's a, a minimum. I think it's you understand minimum. what I'm saying? It, yeah, which I, is again, I'm I ain't no mathematician, but 30 times seven ain't a thousand. Um, <laughs> but you know, I do want to get to would you say you're to the left of the Keynesian um economic belief, or where, where are you at personally? It seems man, like man. You're like, nah, we need to do more, 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 more. <laughs> nah, the, the thing for me, man, I, I've been in econ for way too long at this point. So, you know, I'm just like mostly looking to think about like the actions that the governments could take to improve the lives of people. Mostly, you know, right. like, I don't know if I have like a philosophy that I'd hear by it. And there's some like, good, you know, there's like some great ideas coming from the left. There are some other ideas. That, like if you look at the data more carefully, like maybe they're not so great. Right. And it's not like sloganeering because some of these policies that in theory should be helping out like low income workers or people who are struggling, like don't end up doing so. Right. And unfortunately, sometimes the discourse gets caught up with like what would be like the actual good ideas. And 
I, I think what happens is sometimes like the good ideas per se, like just get terrible billing, right? It's like, okay, child tax credit. Like no one cares about that. Like, and, and that's okay. But then it's the a matter good of- ideas get terrible billing. The Democratic Party story. Exactly, right? Like none of these, none of these actions, like if you look at them like piece by piece, and it's funny, like you look at surveys, right? And like most people agree with like Biden's economic agenda, even to left of him. But then when the, when the ideas get implemented, like no one cares, right? The infrastructure package passed. Does anyone like actually care about that? As far as I can tell, like that hasn't shifted opinions, right? So there's like this is this association, which is like unfortunate because that makes it like a harder sell these ideas, which then in turn makes it clear that the bigger ideas is something that might be of interest to people, right? And that, that's why these ideas get a lot more attention. Yeah. And, you know, we see, look, Donald Trump was perfect at this. He said, all right, we send the checks out. Put my goddamn name on it. That's it. Period. That's it, man. He put his name on that money. When <laughs> That's right. That's that right, fucking check in the bank. That shit said Donald Trump on it. Like he my, understands branding. Like it's man, like that's uh, number one Latin American dictator move, you know, like that. Because he would have been like perfect. Like most of the countries back home, you know, like could would have stayed in power for like 50 years sending out checks left and right. But then Biden came in, right? And he was gonna sign the, these checks too. And like initially they were gonna have the secretary of treasury, you know, or not even like the undersecretary undersecretary of the treasury sign it, and no one would have even associated with him. And it was like very like, okay, I don't want to do this, but I'll do it because I'm I'm being told that it is, right? It's like, why isn't that like you can have politics to go along with the policy. That's okay. Ah, uh, man, uh, look, I you I couldn't have said it any better myself, Fernando. Man, I really appreciate you coming on. We're gonna have you back, especially when Nando comes back at some point in the future, because you fucking know what you're talking about. Razor sharp. Um, are you looking forward to the holiday? You got any plans? What's going on? All right, yeah, yeah. getting back to the U.S., man. Going back home, I'm trying to avoid the cold up here, so should be good. Where in the U.S. will you be at? Uh, well, DC. Okay. Gonna hit up, gonna hit up Biden for a bit. Okay. Not as nice as you out in California, but I don't know. He might be in Nantucket with the Rubenstein Carlisle <laughs> group. So who knows? He might be holidaying with the oligarchs, my brother. But man, thank you so much. Tell the people where they can find you, man. All right, man. Hit me up on uh, Fernando Saltiel on Twitter, and I'll see you guys around. Appreciate you. All right, that's our show for today. Make sure you're checking out all the other Counter Dings offerings throughout the week. The mailbag. The cinephobes, all of the things we got on offer. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. We're out of here. Peace.